Welcome listeners. Welcome listeners. You're listening to Deeds in the Desert. The place where real estate investors tune in for the latest news and available investments at Ignite Funding. If you're on the hunt for a low effort, passive income stream, then turn up that volume and pull out the hammock as we get ready to feed you your weekly dose of real estate investing insights. Welcome, everybody. We have another episode for you here on Deeds in the Desert. My name is Izzy Irizarry. I am the Director of Marketing here at Ignite Funding. On today's episode, we are going to discuss the five misconceptions of trust deed investing. I actually have two people here with me today. I have Pat Vassar, Director of Underwriting, and I also have Don Pitts, Business Development Executive at Ignite Funding. Welcome, guys. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. Finally got two of you guys on here. I know we've been uh, going back and forth with one-on-one, so I'm excited to get some of these questions answered uh, for our guests on here. Because as you guys both know, we have a lot of misconceptions about trust deed investing. People assume this or that. They look up on Google and they read something and they read a horror story and they assume that that is exactly what happens for every trust deed investor. So we are going to go ahead and bust some of those misconceptions that they have out there. So let's go ahead and get right into it. So the first misconception we have is trust deeds are for rich people to invest in. What what, what, what do you say about that, Don? You know, every time I talk to a new prospective investor, I come across this question from them. Do do they have to be an accredited investor? And this is an opportunity historically that was for accredited investors or very wealthy people. It still holds true in some states because some states are regulating trust deeds as a security product with the SEC, but this doesn't apply to every state. So there's over... 20 states in the United States that are basically regulating trustee investments as mortgage products. Just like we are. Just like exactly like we are. I mean, we are regulated by the mortgage lending division here in Nevada. They oversee us and audit us. And so they want to see that our investors have a certain amount of suitability to be investing in trustees. Mm-hmm. Suitability here is and you know when we're looking at bringing on new investors it's do they have a $70,000 a year combined household income mm-hmm. for the past two tax years or do they have 250,000 in net assets excluding the equity in their personal residence mm-hmm. well that's kind of up to the investor to to tell us if they meet those two suitability requirements but really it's an educational thing i think mm-hmm. to determine whether an investor is suitable to invest in trustees because you can have an investor that has $10,000. They mm-hmm. meet $70,000 a year household income for the past two tax years. But that $10,000 that they might be investing may be exactly what's sitting in their savings account. And if for any reason this money got tied up in, in a default and patents mm-hmm. having to work to resolve it, and they have a medical issue, they may need that money desperately, which puts them in a financial 
bind. So to me, they wouldn't be suitable, even though they might technically meet that mm-hmm. suitability requirement. So what you're saying is basically don't don't make this investment if that $10,000 is your only $10,000. Exactly. exactly. I did want to touch on one thing too that you had mentioned is that you were talking about accredited investors. And I assume that's why a lot of people think that trust deeds are for only rich people. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I just want to reiterate was that you mentioned our minimum investment is, is only $10,000, which is very easily attainable for the everyday investor. So that's one thing we want to make sure that people understand. So first misconception, out the door. Trust deeds are not only for rich people. Next, all right, we have this one right here. This one is for Pat. So misconception number two we have is only unworthy borrowers need hard money loans. What do you say to that? False. False. That's right. All right, on to the next question. (laughs) I'm done with. I mean, that's obviously the short answer. The long answer of it is our borrowers come to us for numerous reasons. Every single one of them has currently or had in the past obtained traditional bank financing. So to say that they're unworthy borrowers and only can obtain hard money loans is simply just not the case. We fill and meet a very niche uh, area of, of lending. And that typically falls in a dollar amount that is too big for small banks and too small for big banks, as well as timing issues. When borrowers have a a property, let's say they're buying it at auction or they are under a a, uh, short timeline under their due diligence period, whatever the case may be, we can move much quicker and move, uh, you know, without any issues uh, to funding. So when we say we're going to fund, we do. We don't come back at the 11th hour and give them a multitude of different reasons as to why we cannot fund and therefore they don't get the deal done. Really, at the end of the day, they know that we are going to be able to fund the loan for them. Although it'll cost them a little bit more because we charge more than the bank does, they know they're going to get the deal done. And that's the most important mm-hmm. thing because they're going to be making money on the, the project too. And they're willing to give away some of that via interest knowing that they can secure that asset. So definitely not unworthy borrowers use use hard money, at least in our, our case, every single one of them uh, has traditional bank financing and supplements it for a multitude of different reasons using us to fund some of their deals. You know, one of the things I was just going to bring up when I'm talking to investors, you know how they always ask for, oh, they've got to see everything about the borrower and, and the property and what we use to underwrite the loan. And they look at a credit score of a borrower and they think if the credit score isn't over 700, oh my gosh, this is not a worthy borrower. Hmm. Kind of explain to to our potential investors or investors out there, what do we look at? Well, we look at everything the bank does, really, but we do it the exact opposite way. (laughs) So they spend about 90% of their time underwriting the borrower themselves and 10% of the time looking at the property. And usually that 10% is in the form of an appraisal. We are the exact opposite. We spend 90% of our time evaluating the property itself because at the end of the day, we can foreclose on the property. We can't foreclose on the borrower, meaning if they are unable to pay their bills for whatever reason and they cannot pay our loan off, the collateral we have is to foreclose on that asset and take it back. So we want to make sure that property is surrounded by a blanket of equity uh, to give us the best possibility of returning all, if not more, capital to the, the investor upon a default of the situation. So we look at everything the bank does, but we spend most of our time looking at the asset because that is uh, the collateral and that is the most easily obtainable way for us to, to liquidate and get money yeah. back to the investors. Because the investor, the borrower could have a squeaky clean credit score today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it does. It's not a matter of what that score is. 
no, that I, is, is so important. And and that's what that's what I get from investors a lot is oh, what, we're looking at the credit score. Get get your mind off of that a little bit. It's your underwriting on the property that's more important. I mean, we have borrowers currently that are in the 600s and we have borrowers currently that are in the 800s. Mm-hmm. Each one of them, in my opinion, are, are about the same yeah, just, <laughs> as far as is the riskiness of the asset because we spend all of our time looking at the, the mm-hmm. property itself. Right. Not taking a borrower back. <laughs> no. Right. All right. Let's jump over to the next question. This one is for Dawn. So this one is pretty different from the first question we asked because we said trustees are only for rich people. Well, this one states that the investment costs too much to get started, but we're not talking about the investment amount. We're talking about the fees that are associated with the investment. What fees? What fees is he? Fees exactly, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's just it. There are no fees. So we don't charge the investor to make an investment with us. If you put $10,000 or $50,000 or $100,000 into one of our loans, we're not charging you a percentage of that on a monthly basis. We're not charging you going into the investment. It is a fee-free investment. So how does Ignite Funding make their money then? Well, that's (laughs) we're a hard money lender. We're a mortgage broker. We get paid just like every other indirect lender. We get paid by the borrower to originate fund and service the loan. So we don't have to charge the borrower or the investors Um, But there are some people who use self-directed IRAs, and those custodians might have fees. Some of them don't. Some of them have more fees than others. So like transaction fees, right? Transaction fees or an annual maintenance fee. But um, it still gives you the opportunity to utilize qualified retirement funds and get double-digit returns. And even with some of their fees, you're still getting a steady fixed income that might be greater than what you can get in the market. So I love this. It's minimum barrier to entry for investors with that low $10,000 minimum and no fees. So when you're getting paid 10%, if it says that on your fact sheet that we present to you, it says 10% annually, as long as that borrower is making that interest payment of, to, the, to Ignite funding, that's passed on to the investors at that same rate without fees taken out. So to recap... We don't charge any fees for the investors, so there is no cost. It's not too much to get it started. And I do want to point out one thing about this misconception is that this is related to Ignite funding. There are other hard money lenders that may potentially charge investors to invest in their product. But as far as Ignite funding goes, we do not charge any fees for for the investor. And uh, you you can hear it right from their mouth here. Don and Pat have both been here well over a decade. And I'm have we ever charged fees? Ignite funding ever charge fees uh-huh. investors? I will say the only fee that we've had to charge an investor is when they transfer an asset to a different Correct. titling, right? Because mm-hmm. we do have a fee for that. Mm-hmm. Very minimal fee, mm-hmm. but there is a fee. So I don't want to say we do not have any Correct. fees. If you choose to open a different account, transfer your assets in t- from an individual account to a trust, okay, you're going to have a fee for that, but it's very minimal. Right. Next misconception. Misconception number four. Everyone loses in real estate. What would you say to that, Pat? Um, I would say that's false. Um, is the <laughs> that short answer a misconception? I, People allegedly. really have that misconception that they're going to lose in real estate. Well, that's what he says. So <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I guess. Well, everybody loses in real estate. Apparently, everybody. I will say that real estate operates in in cycles. You know, there's ups and downs associated with it. 
I will also say that it's a, not a very sexy investment. It's not one that you're going to go sitting around drinking coffee with your buddies talking about how you doubled your money in a stock overnight. That just doesn't happen in, in hard money lending or in real estate for that matter. Uh, it does take time. It does take um, knowledge. And it does take you know kind of perseverance that to kind of plug away and get through all the hurdles that it's associated with it. We usually at Ignite Funding take away some of those issues, the 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 perseverance associated with it, the timing associated with it, the knowledge associated with it. We take all that away. Um, so you don't have to have any hands-on knowledge or hands-on ability to uh, decipher what's a good deal or not. We we as Ignite take on that responsibility and present investors with what we consider the cream of the crop, the best deals available for the best risk-adjusted returns that we can find. So to say that everybody loses in real estate, I definitely would not agree with that or even come close to agreeing with that. But I would say it does come in cycles. There are times in which uh, real estate loses value, but as a hard money lender, you know we're on the debt side of things. So the borrower has to lose all of their equity in the project before any part of the principal is, is interfered with on the borrowing side. So if we are going into a downturn, whether it's today, tomorrow, or in 10 years from now, uh, we want to be on the debt side. You don't want to be on the equity side. And so we are in a well-positioned um, opportunity to take advantage of today's market as well as whatever tomorrow holds. Great answer. To recap, false. <laughs> <laughs> Last one we have here. Don, I'm going to have you go ahead and answer this because you deal with many uh, financial professionals. And what I mean by that, you deal with many RIAs, um, CFPs, CFAs, all those people. So the misconception we have is that my financial planner doesn't offer this, so you can't do it. Mm-hmm. Heard it all of 13 and a half years. And when I first looked at this question, I thought to myself, gosh, 13 and a half years ago, I literally talked to this client um, whose financial advisor advised him against trustee investments. And I said, well, does he even know what a trustee investment is? And that at that time, 13 and a half years ago, most of them didn't even know about alternative investments because really that became a buzzword after the downturn in the market in 2008, 9, and 10. Wait, you're telling me a financial professional doesn't know something? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can't all say we know everything, Izzy. This is true. It's true. But there's, you know, different financial planners and advisors, brokers that provide both traditional and alternative investment options. But do they all know what the benefits of those options are? And some of them don't. So, they might advise against it. And many aren't even permitted to invest in these type of investments themselves because their broker is going to limit them as to what they can invest in. They usually can't sell away from the product that they represent. And so they can't invest in those products themselves. Mm-hmm. And because they can't, they kind of sit back and go, well, I don't. why would I learn about it? I can't invest in it. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't teach any of my or help any of my clients to get into these products. And especially if they're not going to get paid. So what you're saying, though, is just so some of the listeners understand, if an RIA, so an independent advisor, um, is not attached to, like, let's say, TD Ameritrade or Schwab, they can do this. But you're saying that there are some out there that can only sell because that's their platform. Correct. Okay. If they're, you know, representing Charles Schwab, Merrill Lynch, you know, some of the big houses, Mm -hmm. um, they generally can't sell alternative products, but independent Mm -hmm. advisors, Mm -hmm. they can offer trustee investments 
they can't sell them because mm-hmm. they're not a mortgage broker, right? I mean, they have to have a mortgage license, so they can't really sell those products, but they can, you know, refer their clients through the platform that we have here mm-hmm. for um, registered independent advisors to be able to offer these types of investments to their investors to get a steady fixed return on one side of their portfolio. Well, maybe the other side of their portfolio is in the stock market and it's rising up and down and they can kind of stabilize that return that they're getting annually. And so we offer that platform and mm-hmm. that that's what brings those independent advisors to us uh, to help their clients stabilize their, their returns. So do you deal with a lot of clients that do have those people that always say, oh, I got a guy, like I have somebody who handles that for me. Mm-hmm. And you talk <laughs> talk through yeah. it with them, you know, because they found us on social media somewhere or at an event or some kind of advertising and they reach out to us and then they tell you at the end of it, oh, let me talk to my advisor. Let me talk to my advisor. Uh, what would you say the success rate is though? Do they usually want to come on the phone call with you to learn more about it? What what do you What do you think? That's... That's exactly where we have to go with this when you're talking to a prospective um, investor. If they're using funds that are coming from their brokerage account, they always want to consult their their advisor, Mm -hmm. right? And the best way for me to be able to help that client is to get them on the phone with their advisor and either do a Zoom meeting or conference call where the advisor can still be the advisor. Right but he's learning as he's going Mm -hmm. about the product. And I would say nine times out of 10, if that advisor is at least open-minded to learning about this product, they're going to tell their client to get into these because they see the benefit once they learn about it. Once they actually know how this product performs, they kind of do some due diligence about Ignite funding. Then they step back and say, you know what? I don't don't see why you wouldn't do this. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what I was talking about. I talked to a client earlier today from 13 and a half years ago. He started when he moved his IRA. And I won't say from the broker that he moved it from, (laughs) but it was that call. Hey, let's get on the call with your broker and let's, you're your advisor and let's talk to him about it. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the call, the guy said, you know what? You do this for a year. And if you don't lose any money, I'll jump in in a year. A year later, my client called up his advisor and said, hey, I didn't lose any money. I actually made exactly what Don said we were going to do. And now that advisor is here at Ignite Funding. So you just have to educate. That's all. So once again, I think that misconception is um, false again Mm -hmm. on that one. Well, that ends it for us today on this episode of Deeds in the Desert. Thanks again for Pat and Don giving us the wealth of knowledge about these misconceptions of trustee investing. Really appreciate that. Join us again next week as we release more educational information on trustee investing at Ignite Funding. Thanks for joining us this week on Deeds in the Desert where short-term investments meet long-term investors. We hope you enjoyed the content so much that you share it with all your friends. Who doesn't like learning about passive fixed income, right? Still hungry for more education? Visit our website at ignitefunding.com. Or if you're ready to take the leap and start investing, give us a call at 702-761-0000 and schedule a free investor consultation. 